Hello, this is Daryl Castle with today's Castle Report. Today is Friday, June 26, 2020. And on this report, I will be talking about the growing levels of anarchy and violence in America. In addition, we will look for the truth and examine why it is sometimes so hard to grasp. For the Castle family, this is week five post-quarantine. So far, so good. But there are ominous storm clouds hanging over my city with calls from city council members to go back to stage one lockdown, which would be death to many, if not most, businesses in times like these. I really miss the family daughter who is safe, but just a face on a computer screen thousands of miles away. I don't know when, if ever, flights from her island will be permitted. So we pray for her and we wait. There are some very strange things happening in America today. Statues of people who built nations, who achieved great things, are being toppled by people who have never accomplished or built anything in their lives. I'm not talking about Robert E. Lee here, folks, because it has gone far beyond Confederate generals. It started with monuments to Confederate dead and the Confederate battle flag and has progressed to anything made by white Europeans. Here is just a parcel list of monuments recently removed, destroyed, or defaced by either an angry mob or by an unelected bureaucrat who just made the decision to do it without consulting any voters. George Washington, the father of our country, yep, afraid so. Thomas Jefferson, the smartest man in American history, probably. Philip Schuler, Caesar Rodney, Abraham Lincoln, you mean... The Great Emancipator? Yes, him too. Ulysses S. Grant, Junipero Serra, Juan de Ornate, William McKinley, Robert E. Lee, Christopher Columbus. He sailed the ocean blue, but he is gone now. Stan Wati, Miguel Cervantes, the writer of Don Quixote, the most popular book ever except for the Bible. Queen Isabella of Castile, Diego de Vargas, Francis Scott Key of... The Star Spangled Banner fame, the Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers, yep, yeah, they're them too. The Orville Hubbard, Jerry Richardson, the Richmond, Virginia Police, Delaware Law Enforcement, Oregonian Pioneers, Oregonian Pioneer Mothers, John Souter, Theodore Roosevelt, and Raoul Wallenberg. Raoul Wallenberg, his statue was uh, because... He was a Swedish man who rescued literally tens of thousands of Jews from the Holocaust and from the grasp of the Nazis. All those are just a few, just a partial mention of the statues to commemorate these people that have been destroyed. Cities across America and Europe have allowed mobs to pull down and vandalize and destroy statues of historical figures from different walks of life. Cities could stop it if they choose to. But no one in the media is asking them why they do not. The statue of Raul Wallenberg in his native Sweden donated by Jews who survived the Holocaust, torn down and destroyed. No one presumed to be white or to represent Western civilization has been spared. President Trump upset because of vandalism of iconic monuments in the nation's capital, including Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, and the World War II Memorial signed an executive order allowing federal authorities to arrest and prosecute those who vandalize federal property, whether out of genuine concern or just virtue signaling to his base. Washington, D.C. is a federal protectorate, so no such order is really necessary for federal authorities to act. Just a little guts. 
Some city mayors are starting to have second thoughts about allowing anarchy in their cities. At first, they seem to have some degree of sympathy, even admiration for the goals of the mob. But these things have a way of escalating and becoming all-consuming. I suppose they learned the hard way that just because you're down with the cause does not mean the cause is down with you. In addition, lots of private tax-paying citizens get caught up in the mob's effort to destroy civilization. In Minneapolis, where this all started, people used to be able to live peaceful. Middle America lies, but no more. Now the city competes with Chicago, Baltimore, Seattle, as a haven for crime, not just any crime, but crimes of violence, especially murder, when it was limited to minority neighborhoods, as it is in Chicago, the city was apparently willing to put up with it, but now it's all over the progressive enclave of Minneapolis, and so they're tired of it. In downtown Minneapolis, where I've spent many days, many happy days, visiting friends, attending ball games, attending the Ron Paul convention there in 2008, white liberals hunker down, afraid that the violence and despair they've encouraged elsewhere will finally reach them. The politically correct say, you want us to kneel? Okay, we'll kneel. Their subservience has not and will not keep the violence at bay. Each day they seem to find new methods of revolting, subservient, groveling, but nothing seems to work because the mob has another agenda that it doesn't bother to mention. That agenda is insatiable. Mayor Jacob Fry, millennial head, uh, Minneapolis has certain views of what the mob's goals are, and he is all for them. He is now being forced to deal with the reality of mob violence out of control. Lisa Bender, president of the city council of Minneapolis, is the person quoted as saying that if your home is broken into, perhaps it's time the privileged felt what the marginalized have been feeling. So she takes the view that if you are lucky enough to have a job in her city, and you acquire a mortgage in her city. You work hard for years to service that mortgage. You somehow owe that home to privilege. Lisa was a privileged child from a white affluent family who sent her to the University of California at Berkeley. She admits her privilege, apparently spends her time trying to atone for it by allowing mobs to burn and loot her city. She is responsible for all of that. She normally occupies her time by turning Minneapolis highways into bike paths so that in a couple of months it happens to not be snowing in Minnesota, people will be encouraged to ride bicycles. In Seattle, Mayor Jenny Durkin encouraged a mob of terroristic anarchists to take control of six blocks at the center of Seattle, that once great city, turned into a war zone, a walled-off prison for a bunch of violent lunatics. At first, the mayor was quite proud of it, often referring to the occupation as the summer of love. The lunatics declared their six blocks as a separate nation without any police, although many of them were armed with semi-automatic rifles, the mayor told the nation. She was tolerant of them because they were opposing racial inequality and police brutality. Now, she says... She is, quote, negotiating to bring the Capitol Hill-occupied protest zone to an end, end quote. The violence, including accusations of murder and rape, among the summer of love forced her hand, I suppose. The cumulative impacts, quote, by the way, the cumulative impacts of the gatherings and protest and nighttime atmosphere and violence has led to increasingly difficult circumstances for our business and residents. 
end quote. So what does all that mean? Well, let's attempt to interpret for her progressive words. She said she's getting so much pressure from business about lost tourism dollars, from residents afraid of the violence and third world conditions. She simply had to act. I wonder what negotiating to bring the protest to an end really means. My guess is it means let's find out how much money it takes to make all these highly principled anarchists go back to their parent-funded Ivy League universities. The president was right in his decision not to get involved in Seattle. That is a quagmire. It's better left to local authorities. It's not a matter for federal troops. If Jenny Durkin wants to turn her city into a third-world Seattle stand, the people can vote. They can judge along the same lines. But perhaps even worse is the act of kneeling to show contrition, support for a cause, or just virtue signaling to others. Kneeling is an act of submission to the authority of others. The army, which has surrendered, kneels symbolically and literally before its conquering general. The conquered hand their guns to the conqueror because they are now helpless and completely at the mercy of the conqueror, will he be merciful or will he be cruel? It's up to him. The act of kneeling is also an act of the acceptance of slavery. The one who kneels is indicating his acceptance and acknowledgement of his status of slave. My advice to any American is to kneel before God, but not man. The truth is so very important, and unless we're willing to face it, to examine it, to determine if it really is the truth, we will never solve our problems. We certainly do not like to look at the truth. Sometimes we avoid it at all costs, but if we do, how can we know the real source of our problems? Would we really prefer to base our lives, our futures, our children's futures on lies told to us by a media with an agenda we may not even be aware of? Sometimes we evade the truth because we are afraid of what it might say about us. Perhaps it will reveal an answer to our problems that we consider worse than the problem. But nevertheless, there it is, unchanging. Reality is something that is also hard for us to admit at times, to accept at times. The science fiction writer Philip Dick once said, quote, reality is what continues to exist whether you believe in it or not, end quote. That is the best description of reality that I've heard, an example would be the question of whether God exists or not. The fact that you may choose not to believe in the existence of a creator God who is personal and who has a claim on you has nothing to do with whether God exists or not. We may lie to ourselves all we want, but in the end, reality is right there in front of us, ever present, ever unchanging. It is at least unchanging until we face it with a determination to make changes. Another reason for all this racial and political division, at least bordering on hatred, is because it is a tactic, a tactic of the relatively cold war in which we are now engaged right now. The warfare is primarily one of information, but it could go kinetic at any time. The people who conquered Seattle were apparently trying to provoke kinetic warfare, but they were unsuccessful. That's probably why... They made a big internet and mainstream news show of distributing AR-15 rifles to their members. I guess firing an AR-15 in combat is something they teach up at Harvard now. Despite many attempts to provoke one, the kinetic war has not started. One way to prevent open warfare is to continually accept any demand, then grovel before those making the demands. The result 
Now that tactic is that the demands never stop. They just progress to the next level. That brings me to the information war, which is now being lost by using the tactic I just mentioned. An example of just progressing to the next level of demands would be after the destruction of the monuments I mentioned earlier, one of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, Sean King, Mr. King said that Jesus had to go as well. Yes, that's right, folks. No more Jesus. No more statues of a white European that we choose to call Jesus, he said. Not just the statues, though, because they exist mainly in the Catholic faith, but other symbols as well, such as stained glass windows. I'm actually glad he did that. I'm glad he said it because it will be enough to awaken black churches and Christian leaders. Perhaps it'll be enough. Maybe it'll be enough to awaken them that there is an information war going on. I wonder if black lives really do matter to the political left. What about the pregnant black mothers, the babies they carry inside them? Do they matter? An estimated 90,000 black babies were killed by abortion right inside their mother's wombs in America last year. Do they matter? What about the young black males killing each other at an alarming rate of 25,000 per year? Do they matter? I guess... My guess is that they do not fit within the parameters of the information war now being fought. Then we have the group calling itself Antifa, which stands for anti-fascist. If you're not with them, then you must be a fascist. They call their enemies defined as non-believers, Nazis, and fascists, but they are primarily financed by the resources of a Nazi collaborator who bragged and laughed about helping the Nazis steal the assets and lives of his fellow Jews on a YouTube video. Finally, folks, never let go of the truth. It is such a rare commodity these days. It's even hated by many people. But there it is, as long as we remember that it once mattered to us. At least that's the way I see it. Until next time, folks, this is Daryl Castle. Thanks for listening.